And the reading is from Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everybody. And then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Good evening. We are going to be uh, having a think about what God's saying to us through that passage. Uh, Before we do, uh, let's ask him for his help to do so. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, for your word in the Bible. Um, Thank you that us hearing this read is hearing you speak to us. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who helps us to understand your word and think about what it means for our lives. Uh, here in this particular place at this particular time we do pray that he might help us now Um, please help us to hear your voice so that we might not harden our hearts like those pharisees did in jesus name we pray amen are you tired are you tired i wonder how you would answer that I guess many of us would say we're physically tired. It's Sunday evening, it's been a busy weekend. But but I guess many of us would say we're tired in other ways too. Some of us are physically worn out, maybe due to illness, age, or, or just our busy lives. Our bodies feel like they've been on a treadmill for years, or perhaps even... Are painful and they don't work in the way that they used to. And we wish you could just have even one day's break from it because we're so very, very tired. Others of us might be mentally tired. Life seems to be a conveyor belt of problems that suck the life out of us. And they don't leave us space to think because they're just going round and round our heads all the time. And we want to break from it because it makes us so very tired. For others of us, that tiredness might be psychological. The longer we've lived, the more sad things we've experienced and witnessed, the more grief we feel. And every day feels like you're walking around with an increasing weight of sadness on your shoulders that just grows heavier as each day, week, month and year goes by. And it makes us very, very tired. 
You see, I think most, if not all of us here tonight, are probably tired people. And as good as recreation, retirement and Red Bull is helping us in the short term, none of those things can give us that deep, restorative, Sabbath-style rest that we're deep down looking for. Because none of those things can permanently take away all the madness, sadness and badness that ruins our rest and tires us terribly. So is there hope for tired people? People like us, people like the world around us. Yes, if. See, as we finished chapter 2 of Mark's Gospel last Sunday night, we were left on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Jesus has been accused by the Pharisees of breaking the fourth commandment because he allowed his disciples to work on the Sabbath day so they didn't go hungry. And Jesus dealt with their accusation by telling them uh, that, verse 27, um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, i.e. the day of rest is meant to be good for people, not make people's lives miserable. And he could say that with authority because, 2 verse 28, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's effectively saying, I'm the rule maker, not a rule breaker. But... Was that true? I mean, anyone who knows their Bibles could have said what Jesus said. What what proof could he offer that he really was the Lord of the Sabbath? Well, that is where tonight's passage comes in. And we're going to think about it in two chunks. Firstly, as we see that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath who gives real rest. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath who gives real rest. We don't know how long it was uh, since the previous one, but in 3 verse 1, another Sabbath day rolls round and you find Jesus in a synagogue, which, as you might know, is like a Jewish equivalent of our church. The special thing about this synagogue, though, is that there's another man there. A man, uh, 3 verse 1, who has a shriveled or withered hand. Now, whether he was there by accident or the design of the Pharisees, we're not told, but his presence was great news for the Pharisees. You see, a a bit like a starving village would be great news for the Sheriff of Nottingham because it would enable him to trap Robin Hood because he's going to come and help him, isn't he? The man with the withered hand provided them with an opportunity. Um, See, verse 2 tells us that they, they were itching to catch Jesus breaking God's law. And according to them, if he healed on the Sabbath, that is exactly what he would be doing. So you can imagine the scene, like the synagogue is you guys. Jesus is there as the man with the withered hand. There's a bunch of Pharisees on that balcony just rubbing their hands together, waiting to see what happens. What, what would Jesus do? Well, notice what he doesn't do, and that shy away from the situation. Because he could have. A withered hand is not a life-threatening condition. He probably had it for ages. Jesus could have said, come back tomorrow, 9am, I'll heal you then. The tension would be diffused and conflict would have been totally avoided. 
But he doesn't do that. Because though his life might have been easier, he would have missed a major opportunity to teach the gospel to those around him. And in passing, it's worth noting there could be times like that for us too. I I don't naturally find myself running into difficult situations. But sometimes maybe we do need to not take the easy way out or walk into tough times because doing so does give us an opportunity to share God's good news with the world around us. And we need to ask God for wisdom to know whether any particular situation is the right time to do that. For Jesus, though, that day in the synagogue was one of those times. Just have a look down at verses 3 and 4. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. You can picture, can't you, those Pharisees on the balcony as Jesus says that down here in front of us, thinking, we've got him. This is, this is brilliant. He's told the man to stand up. He's going to heal him. We are going to prove that he is a lawbreaker. But I'm pretty sure their joy very quickly turned to despair as Jesus opened his mouth. Why was that, though? Imagine you're at Shelford Railway Station waiting for a train when suddenly someone near you faints and falls down onto the track. Now, you're a good citizen, yeah? So you're kind of about to jump down onto the track when someone behind you says, don't do that, it's illegal. And when you turn around, what you see is they're pointing at this sign which says, if you trespass on the line... You're breaking the law and you're going to get fined a thousand pounds. So what do you do? Do you break the law to save a life? Or do you keep the law and leave that person on the track? I think the answer is obvious. But as obvious as the answer to that and Jesus' question in verse 4 is... um, that the lawful thing to do on the Sabbath is to do good and restore life, then the the Pharisees don't seem to agree. Now, you know that's the right thing to do for two reasons. First, um, according to Deuteronomy 30.15, which is kind of the verse that Jesus is, is pivoting off here, The point of the law is to bring life and prosperity to God's people. So you heal them that. And secondly, the Old Testament says the law is summed up by two things. Loving God and loving your neighbour. Or as the New Testament pushes it further, loving God by loving your neighbour. So the answer is obvious, isn't it? You heal the man. Yet the Pharisees don't give an answer. They remain silent at Jesus' question. And the reason I think is, is because 
if they say, actually, Jesus, yeah, you, you're totally obeying the law um, to heal this guy, they look like fools in front of everyone. But if they say it's wrong, they're disagreeing with God's word. So discretion being the better part of valour, they just remain silent as Jesus, verse 5, heals the man. Restoring not just life to his hand, but also by doing that, giving him the chance to enjoy being part of God's covenant community in a way that he couldn't have before. See, Jesus shows he is Lord of the Sabbath, not just by keeping it properly, but by using his divine miraculous power to give this man a taste of the future rest that the Sabbath is a picture of. And that, I think, should give tired people great hope for two reasons. See, first of all, seeing that Jesus is this divine, powerful Lord of the Sabbath gives us hope that we're not going to be tired forever. See, those things that make us tired, you know, really tired, they're ultimately products of the fall. But we've seen the Lord of the Sabbath is both willing and able to bring about Sabbath rest. And on the cross, he's done what is necessary to deal with all that madness, badness and sadness that causes our bodies and our relationships to break down and makes our work and our lives to be hard. The Bible tells us he has created an eternal Sabbath rest that people who trust in him, people like us here this evening, can enter when we die and will one day engulf the earth when Jesus returns. A Sabbath rest where there will be no more tears, no more death, no more pain, just peace, prosperity and joy always and forever. And just like remembering that roast dinner is coming in an hour helps us cope with being hungry now, remembering that future rest helps us cope with our present tiredness. I think it's fair to say, though, some Christians can give the impression that the whole of the Christian life is simply suffering now, glory later. And that that rest will only come when either we die or if Jesus returns. But I think what Jesus does in the synagogue on that date gives us hope that that is also not quite the case. You see, Jesus gave that man a little taste of the Sabbath rest. And I think that sometimes in this life, if we go to him... Jesus uses his divine power to give us little tastes of that Sabbath rest too. Maybe as he heals us from illness or injury in whatever way. Maybe as he helps us not give in to temptation and sin. Or perhaps as he restores a relationship that we thought we'd lost for good. I would love to promise he will do that every time you ask him. I can't. 
But we know that he is both willing and able to use his power, not just to get us to enter his rest in the future, but to give us a little taste of rest now. Because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath who gives real rest. However, and this is our second point, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath who gives real rest to those who receive him. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath who gives real rest to those who receive him. Uh, Some of you will know I've got two cats, Nutmeg and Marmalade. They are lovely boys and they are beloved by the family. It would be the best position in our house is to be the cat, I think. Um, Now, imagine you had a little bit of an episode and and that you deliberately chose to run over my cats. Um, I think I would feel a number of things, um, but mainly a mixture of deep sadness and hot anger. And it's those two things Mark tells us in verse 5 Jesus was feeling that day in the synagogue. Why, though, was he feeling like that? Let's have a look down at verse 5. He looked around at them, that's the Pharisees, in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. You see, Jesus was hugely sad and rightly angry at the Pharisees because for all the service they attended, for all the quiet times they had, for all the sermons that they gave, the Pharisees had hard hearts, hearts that were set against God. I think we're so used to knowing that, that the shock of that for them would have been very hard for them to hear. The shock is missed on us. But, but the symptoms of their heart disease are very plain to see. By wanting the man to stay crippled, particularly on the Sabbath, they showed that they were more about death than life. And by ignoring and rejecting the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who was speaking God's words... They showed they were more about evil than good. Something that was confirmed by the fact that in verse 6 they were willing to partner with the Herodians, who were basically the godless licentious people of the day, who were as far removed from Pharisees as you could possibly get. But they were willing to partner with them to remove Jesus from the scene once and for all. Now, it could be that Jesus is simply angry and sad at the Pharisees' behaviour. Like a parent might be angry and sad when little Jimmy hurts little Johnny. However, I, I do find myself wondering if it's deeper than that. I wonder if he's angry and sad like a spouse who maybe finds out their partner has committed a crime and is going to prison for it. Because the way Jesus weeps for Jerusalem as he pronounces judgment on it in Luke 19, it, it just speaks of someone who is angry 
at the Pharisees' sins. Because doing evil and rejecting God are really, really bad. But also sad. Because their sins are going to lead to their judgment. And even these Pharisees are his people who he made and who he loves. And who he really wants to enjoy eternity with him. And I think that seeing how Jesus responds to those who reject him helps us respond in the right way too. It both reminds us, doesn't it, that persecuting and exploiting God's people, rejecting Jesus and mocking God, that they aren't small things. And it's not wrong to feel angry when we see people do that. But I think it also reminds us that we should feel compassion for people who do that. Because even the worst of them are people Jesus made and people who, John 3.16 tells us, he wants to save. And in light of that, I think we need to ask God to give us hearts that are neither hardened to the seriousness of sin or hardened against people who do sin. There is one other thing, though, we need to make sure that we don't become hardened to. And that is Jesus. We saw in verse 6 that what happened in the synagogue resulted in the Pharisees plotting Jesus' death. Why? What was it about this that, that tipped them over the edge? Well, I think it is what Jesus said in verse 4. Because what those words in verse 4, based, I guess, say, in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, they're less of a question and more of an accusation. He was basically using that verse to charge the Pharisees with being evil and rejecting God. Something that God says a couple of verses later in Deuteronomy 30 results in not entering the rest of God's promised land, but rather being destroyed. Now, my understanding is the Pharisees would have known the first five books of the Bible off by heart. They knew what Jesus was saying when he said that. But instead of listening to him and repenting of their sin, even though they'd seen this evidence that he had divine power, that he really was the Lord of the Sabbath, that he really was the one who spoke God's truth, they hated him and started plotting his death so they could be rid of him forever. And the question we've got to ask ourselves is do we do the same thing? When either in our private Bible reading or a sermon at church or a conversation with a friend, Jesus says to us, we're sinful and need a saviour. Even though we have even more evidence in the Bible that Jesus is God's son and God's king, do we hate him and what he says? Do we do what it takes to just push him out of our lives? 
Now, we might do those things very politely and quietly. And we might keep on being upright or, or even religious people. But Jesus is clear. If, if we do those things, then like the Pharisees, we won't get to know the joy of entering eternal rest in a perfect paradise. Rather, we'll experience something far worse than being tired forever. We'll face eternal judgment because that is what our sin deserves. But as I I think we've seen, that is not what Jesus wants for us. It's not what Jesus wants for the world around us, even the worst of the world around us. He wants us all to enter his rest. So why not tonight ask God to soften your heart so that you accept that Jesus really is the Lord of the Sabbath, who offers us real rest in some ways now and in all ways forever. Are you tired? Physically, mentally, emotionally tired? Well, take heart, because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, who gives real rest to those who receive him. Let's pray, and I'll hand back over to Monica. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you came to show us the truth about the kingdom of God, about what our Heavenly Father is like, about what our future looks like, about what hope we can have in this world. And we do thank you that there is a hope of eternal rest. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, that you might help us to trust that you're the way to get there. That you are the one who will take us there and be with us forever. And that the tiredness, in whatever way we feel it, won't last forever. We pray, Father, for those who are tired. We pray that you will strengthen them, that you will help and heal and restore people here as a little taste of that eternal rest. But please help us to hope, biblically hope, for that day when we go to be with you or you come to take us into your kingdom when we can know rest perfect rest and never be tired again we pray these things in Jesus name for your glory and for our joy Amen